into the area. Janček, stab through, chance, shot, goal! Full stop! Unbelievable scenes at the end for the derby! Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Yeah, yeah, delighted to to see that fans are going to be back inside Tyne Castle again, that um, the ruling has taken place to allow supporters back inside the football grounds and yeah, that good, nice little piece of news to, to kind of cheer everyone up because it was getting a little bit morbid over the last couple of weeks with all the, the restrictions. So plenty to look forward to from a Hearts perspective this week. Indeed. And we're also joined by one of Celtic's favourite podcasters, uh, <laughs> Ryan McGowan. What's that Diddly one? Diddly D. I was waiting for that one. Well done. I was just, I was requested on a podcast and I, politely agreed to it that's all talking was about my demands for us a, a ban there was demands for a suspension for you and everything on social I media i think that was a serious i think that was you it was behind it you used two clowns <laughs> that were behind that clowns eh by the way do you remember what happened when you came on this as a guest for the third time you ended up kind of a permanent fixture so i wonder if that means that going forward there'll be four of us every single week because we have someone joining <laughs> us this week for the third time and um, it, it, it's like a lot. It's like a testimonial. Your your reward, um, Robbie Nielsen, this week is uh, is a permanent place on the podcast. So thank you for not agreeing to do that, but agreeing nonetheless. Pleasure going, lads. Looking forward to it. Enjoyed the last one. Good. Indeed, yeah. Good. You've now you've now got more appearances on this podcast than you scored goals for Hearts. <laughs> so that's hard to be honest with you. Wouldn't be hard. <laughs> where 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 will this rank against scoring the winning goal against Basel in, in Europe? Right down there. Right. <laughs> yes, uh, we are delighted to be joined for a third time by Hearts head coach Robbie Nielsen. Um, not only August's Premiership Manager of the Month, but I don't know if you've seen this, Robbie Nielsen, but you are now uh, apparently officially the least under pressure manager in the Scottish top flight, according to data collated by betting experts. Well, you've got to say, that's an accolade I've not had before. <laughs> it can change very quickly, as we know. <laughs> well, what about these 10 people and, and, and the 10 biplanes at Turnhouse Airport that are just sat there twiddling their thumbs? Exactly, you're, know, you're, you're, you're putting the pilots <laughs> out of work, son. Come on. <laughs> Hopefully no, no chat necessary about any planes anytime soon we, we will have a chat about um, how the season's gone so far your feedback as well you know we spoke to you in the summer after the end of last campaign in the championship so interesting to see how you feel things have progressed since then and a bit of a look ahead to the coming months in the future as well okay Robbie let's <clears throat> get stuck right into what we'll call a half-term report card um when you came on in the summer, I like think last season you looked at 
that you give out a 10 or 8 and you said a 7 or 8 in terms of the league anyway when you were on the podcast last time. So we thought we'd go through a few different areas in terms of this season so far in the Premiership and uh, I guess some of the feedback from you as the boss. Um, first up, what has pleased you most about this season so far at the sort of halfway point? I think probably the biggest thing is that when you have an idea of where you think the squad's going to be when you come up if you get the right additions to it. But you're never actually that 100% sure that you're, they're going to do that because it is a big jump when you come up from the, the championship. You have to be you know, more consistent in your games. I think there was times last season where we probably didn't need to bring a top game, you know, but we still won the games, whereas this season we have to be far more consistent. So I've been really pleased with that. Um, I've been pleased with a number of away performances as well at times because it's always been a kind of stickler for hearts over the years that it's, we've not had a great away record, you know, and I, th- I still think there's a lot of room for improvement in it, but we've managed to pick up a number of points away from home, which has been good. So, no, I've been, I've been, I, I personally felt that we would come up and do well and be in this run about this position, but you know, it's good to be able to come up and actually do it. In terms of improvement and room for improvement where do you feel if you're looking at the team now what areas of performance or, or the team or or anything really to do with the season so far do, where do you think there's areas that could be improved upon going forward to be honest, I think you're always looking to improve the squad every window you know I think Nathaniel Atkinson coming in will give us energy on the right hand side gives us competition with Michael we're still looking to do a, a bringing a one or two players in the forward area to give us more competition and more pace. So I think there's the within the squad, there's areas to improve. Performance-wise, you know, I think again, touching on it, the, the away form, I think it's been decent, but I think it can be better. You know, I'd like to go away most grounds and be picking up three points where we've dropped, you know, points here and there up at Ross County, we dropped points up at St Johnson, we dropped points as well. And these are the ones you look back on at the end of the season and think, you know, should have picked up three points there. So if we can be a bit more consistent on the road, I think the, the home form has been very good and we have to continue that as well. I think, Rob, that every team looks at games that they feel they perhaps should have won Celtic against Livingston Rangers and a couple as well and say, well, that was points that got away. You had games that you should have won um, and, and didn't for whatever reason. But you also had games that right at the end against Ross County, their guy kept the ball out the back of the net. And that, that would have been a, a point for them, which they wouldn't have deserved. But I think it evens itself out over the, the course of the season, or, or certainly you hope that. I wanted to ask, not for a, a game or anything, I just wanted to ask your favourite moment this season. It could be a game or it might be something else. What, what, what has been your favourite moment of the season so far? So far, eh? Probably the, the highlight of one of the bigger ones was, was John's Suter's goal against Celtic in the first game of the season. It was massive for mm-hmm. us. It was a wee bit kind of reminiscent of the, the championship season 2015-16 when we scored. Uh, Osmond So scored the winner right at the end and against Rangers at Ibrox. Because what it does, it, it gives the team and the club and everyone associated with the club belief that we can compete and beat these teams. So that was a that was a huge goal for us, and then probably one of the other highlights is at the end, Craig Gordon's you know quadruple save at Livingston, you know, and <laughs> celebration after it, you know, and it showed what it meant to to big Craigie to you know keep the ball at the net for Hearts. So there's probably opposite sides of the pitch, opposite sides of the scale, but John's winner, and then 
you know, Craig just shown that, you know, what a top class keeper he is. The one thing I think he would hope for as a New Year resolution would be not to be as busy because you, you pretty much know he's going to save most of them. He's made the most saves in the league. He's got the highest save percentage. But signing him on a new deal, that was that was a big moment for everyone at the football club as well. The club captain staying, committing his, his future to the football club. Was there ever a doubt in your mind that you wouldn't get that deal over the line? No, to be honest with you, there wasn't. You know, so... He's, you know, Craig's said all along he wanted to stay here, he wanted to be here till, for the rest of his career. So it was just a case of really getting everything ironed out. But people talk about you need goal scorers, you know, and that's generally the ones that are, you know, most coveted in football. But goalkeepers are so important as well. You know, strikers will win you games, goalkeepers will win you games as well by stopping you conceding, you know, to get some of Craig's calibre. And, you know, that the stats show that he's had the most saves, but I think it's because. The players, we can be more open and more free in our play because we know we can give up chances because we've got a guy has calibre behind us. You know, if we if we had a goalkeeper there that, that you're nervous about and God, you know, we're all Hearts fans, we've all seen over the years, we've had a few hairy canary goalkeepers in, <laughs> in the next time castle and the whole team brings a nervousness. And girls as I said, a half, you know what it's like, mate, when you, you get somebody behind you, you're you're unsure of, you then become less free in your movement, less free in your passing and, and the whole team and it starts to, it escalates from the goalie to the back four to the midfield, to the striker, to the coaching staff, to the fans you know, so having somebody of that calibre at the back just allows everyone else to, to be more free and more comfortable Exactly and looking at this season, is there anyone so far that you've seen a massive improvement is there sort of a most improved player that you maybe thought, I'm going to see how he struggles with either jumping up from the championship to the premiership or one of the new signings that has hit the ground running? Is there someone that's that's been there who's impressed you the most this year? Yeah, I think there's, you know, to be honest, there's most of the guys have played Premier League. You know, it's probably the guys that are coming in from, like, say, Cammy Devlin and Benny Beningham. You know, it's two kind of, kind of unknowns of it. Are they going to come in? Are they going to settle well? Are they going to get a relationship with each other? Are they going to you know, understand what it, what it means to play at Hearts? You know, because it is, it's a very difficult place to come and play at times. And, you know, I spoke to the two of them when they, when they first came in and said that, you know, when you play at Tynecastle, you need to win your 50-50s, you need to give everything on the pitch. If you do that, mm-hmm. the fans will love you. If you don't do that, you're a really technical player, it doesn't matter. You know, you have to make sure that you put the yards in. And the two of them have come and done that. So I would say probably those two I've been really impressed with. I think Barry McKay knew what we were going to get with Barry. And we played in Scotland before, you know, top player. Uh, so probably Cammy and Benny were the two that, you know, we wasn't 100% sure what we would get, but we've, we've been really, really impressive. Yeah. And you've mentioned um, how disappointed you were in last year's cup performances. Is there a massive focus on that? This season, in terms of doing really well in the in the cups, yeah, definitely. You know, the Scottish Cup's massive for us, but you know we've got Auchinleck away, which is a massive game. But the game before it's just as important as well. You know, it's it's really. I find that you have you can't get look too far ahead. You know, you can't go right mm-hmm. game in two weeks' time. You have to take care of the game that's coming up. You know, so all focus for us at the moment is on the game on uh, next Tuesday. 
you know, against St. Johnson. Then after that, we'll focus on the Auchinleck game. I'm going to watch them on Saturday, actually, Auchinleck. So I'll get an idea of what they like. And But yeah, the, the Cups for me are so important for us, you know, especially this year. You know, if you, if you win the Cup, you go into the playoff, the final playoff for Europa League, which is massive, you know, so it's important we get that. And also, we want to win silverweight at this, at this club, you know, so it's important that we go right to the very end of these tournaments and try and pick up silverweight because we were close to it last year. Yeah. Don't want to talk about anything too negative, uh, but were there any, you know, if there was to be a worst moment, is there anything that jumps out of the season so far that you'd feel the most frustration at in terms of uh, our big disappointments? A couple of games that we, I felt we should have won, you know, I felt we should have played really well against Hibs and against Aberdeen at home. You know, we didn't take maximum points, which was disappointing because I thought we were real, we had a chance really to take them, you know, and, you know, turn both teams over. And then, probably the Aberdeen game up there I just felt that we you know I was in the stand for that game and I was watching it from you know midway up the Aberdeen stand and it's just that was a real frustration because we just didn't turn up that day you know and uh, it was a, it was a, a frustrating performance because prior to that we'd done really well away from home in the games we played and then we're up there and just didn't turn up you know and that was that was frustrating to be honest with you so probably that was the main one See how you touched on there that you didn't turn up. Is there anything in the coaching staff? Because I've been involved in loads of teams where we've gone out and like you said, it, it does just feel like nothing's working. Is there anything that you ever sense in the lead up to that? Or is that probably the most frustrating part is that you just do not see those types of performances coming? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it can be difficult at times. You know, like I always speak to the, my coaches prior to the game, you know, and how was the warm-up, you know, and they'll say... Mm-hmm. look sharp the day and look at it uh, and they can say that and then they get and the team starts slowly or they'll say yeah. it's been a slow warm up you need to give them a jag so you go and you give them a wee jag and they come out and then they start well so you know it's very difficult to tell until the game actually starts you know and how that the flow of the game begins mm-hmm. it's like the times you you know you can start the game for the first five minutes and you're on it and then something will happen and then you know you lose the focus of the game so it's uh, that's a very frustrating thing, and I think if anyone could find, you know, the magic formula, to <laughs> teams at it for ninety minutes of every game, then it's uh, I'm sure they'll be pretty successful in the game. But that's that's a, that is a frustration, girls. You know, you sense that you're selling. Yeah. You know, you, you start the game and you're like, it's just not there, you know. And it's like, how do you yeah. get there? For me, it's like you know, you have to change something, you know, whether it's you know change your formation, whether it's a change your substitute, something to try and. Get, get a wee bit of grip in the game. Who's the Ryan McGowan of the current squad? The the lively one, the potential menace, but someone that's good to have around the place. But Stephen Gouza was there when I was there as a player, and he was always really quiet. Hardly said it. I was respectful to the elder. Well, apart from that, is that not apart from that time you had a go at Zalukas and Shaba was going to punt you? Robbie was actually my. Robbie was the one that came to me the next day and said, oh, I think you're on a sticky wicket here. <laughs> um, you remember that, Robbie? It was up on the main pitch, you know, where the 19s used to play. Uh-huh. I don't even remember. I don't remember, mate. No, yeah. did he? The big Zalukis, did you have a pop on? <laughs> yeah, we were playing um, Scots v Foreigners and we were getting absolutely smashed and had a pop at him. And then Shabba had a big go at me for speaking to the older players, being disrespectful to the older players. 
And then he must have said something up in the offices and it filtered back down. Uh-huh. And then you pulled me the next day saying, maybe just keep yeah, a low yeah. profile for the next couple of days. Keep your head down for the next couple of days. Oh, So, as who's in their group, like, like uh, goes up. Do you feel me, Cammy's quite chirpy. You know, he's got a chirpy boy. Hippy. Yeah. Andy Halliday's, you know, Andy's like, he's quite chirpy as well about the place. So, there's a few of them. There's a few of them that are pretty lively. One thing that it kind of impressed me when I, when I, Laurie's provided a whole host of stats, being a commentator and, and everything like that about Hearts in the first half of the season. You spoke when the last time you were on about maybe trimming the squad size and, and trying to go with more quality rather than, than quantity. According to Laurie's notes, this season that you've used the lowest number of players in the league out of all the Premiership teams, just 20 players have been involved. For context, Celtic have used 30 and Dundee United 31. How much has that helped get the consistency of performance? Yeah, I think it's really it's really important, you know, to try and keep the group together. And we made a conscious decision in the summer to run with a, a smaller squad. You know, we probably have, I would say, 17 outfield players that I would class as ready to go and play in the top six, top four of Scottish football. Then we have a few of the younger ones that can come in and fill the gaps here and there. So that's really important. But also, you know, we've got a really good sports science department and medical department as well. You know, we rely on them a lot. We've got a guy, Bob McCunn. So Bob's head of performance and Bob and I liaise a lot about, you know, how hard we should train, when we should train, should do the gym, you know, guys coming back, you know, when they should come back into, to play, you know, and be, be ready to play. So I think they play a big part of it uh, within it because they're the ones that, that get the guys match fit and, and ready. You know, the biggest thing for me is having players available, you know, and that's doing the, the medical department, the physical department, but also, you know, the coaching staff and the players themselves, to be fair. You know, a lot of, we've got a lot of good pros in at the club that look after themselves, you know, and are match ready. So it makes a huge difference when you can play, you know, the same start in 11 for three or four weeks in the bounce because you get that continuity. In terms of age of the of the squad, and always it's something we spoke about last time, uh, the very very well documented um, highest average age in the championship last season was twenty eight point seven five. It it's it's dropped a little bit. We're at twenty seven point nine, I believe, from the stats. So younger than last season. So only fourth oldest in the Premiership. Um, however. Still maybe on the, the higher side, uh, I can see there's no players under 21 who've played any league minutes yet this season. Is that something you're still hoping to address as you go forward? Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously it's probably skewed a wee bit when we've got Craig and Gold, you know, <laughs> he's at, so probably <laughs> quite a wee bit. But, you know, we are, we made that decision in the summer as well to try and bring it down a wee bit, you know, so even the ones we're bringing in, you know, Cammy Devlin, Benny Van me. Nat Atkinson coming in, you know, lower age. But I still think, you, you know, for me, you have to earn the right to play for Hearts. You know, I think we went, there was a period at Hearts where, you know, players were getting game time because they were young. You know, for mm-hmm. me, you have to earn the right to play at Hearts. You know, you shouldn't be, you know, there's a number of players that, that have, are still at the club, have left the club, that have got 15, 20 uh, appearances to their name, but probably haven't earned them. You know, you have to earn the right to play at Hearts. And I don't know what age you were when you made your debut, Gilson, but you had to earn it. 
you know, and that for me is the key. You have to be good enough to step in, you know, so that hence the reason we put a lot of them out on loan is to get them that game time so that they're ready and when they come in, they're at the level that's required to play at Hearts. You know, I think that's really important. I'm trying to bring the average age down, but it, it does take a bit of time because these guys that are coming in have to be ready to perform at the level to earn their place in the team. Do you think, um, do, are there enough players coming through at the moment or do you think maybe, would in an ideal world, would there be more players, you know, at that point now coming through the, the kind of 19s that you could get involved? Is it something you hope to build on? I know obviously Joe Savage has only been involved at the club um, for what's it's a year and a half or so now. Um, you've obviously only been back since the, the start of last season. Is that something you hope to to develop and build on so there are more players coming through and ready and at least ready to be involved as substitutes maybe at this point? Yeah, definitely. You know, we, we have a number of them on loan. You know, one of the difficulties we've had this season, last season as well, there was no reserve league. So there was that gap between the under 18s and the first team because then there was no game time really for these guys. So it's kind of really hindered the development, hence the reason we sent a lot of them out. So you know, we've got Hendo, Ewan Henderson's doing really well at Arwa, scoring goals. We had, you know, Cammy Logan's just went out. You know, Cammy's probably one that has been hindered the most, to be honest with you, because he picked up an injury, couldn't go at the start of the season. But Leo Watson's doing well. He's going back out again. Finley Pollock will go out eventually. He's been, he's trained with us quite a lot recently. He's one that we've got real high hopes for. So we've got a number, you know, Harry Stone. It was a disappointing one for him, isn't it? He went out there and departed and did well and then, you know, made a mistake up at a bro for a goal and came in and then ended up keeping a club record eight clean sheets in a row. So he found it hard to get in. But I think it's really important for these guys that they go out and loan and get the experience to then be ready to come into the team. You know, and I, I'm also, I'm not, I'm not keen on keeping them in just to sit on the bench. You know, we could, we could have kept, you know, Ewan Henderson in with us. And they got maybe, I don't know, three, four games, maybe a couple of substitute appearances here and there. Or is it better to put them out to Arlo and he plays, you know, in a season, 40 odd games and scores 20 goals? You do that, then he's ready to come in the summer and then you go, right, let's see what he has. Is he ready to come and be a starter for us? Is he going to get maybe 10, 15 games this time and then it's worthwhile keeping him in? So, you know, we, we, we want to get the boy, the young ones involved, but you also have to balance it off with their development to make sure they're getting game time. So is that, the, do you have meetings with the, the young boys? Is that sort of the process that you have now is you sort of pick the ones that you feel have a right good chance, sit them down, explain to them that we want to send them out on loan to a good club, get those games or bring them in? Or is it just a case of you just, with young players, just need to see how they're getting on, see how they train with the first team and, and work it out from there? We will we'll sit down and explain to them where they want to put them, you know, and the reasons for putting them there. You know, it's funny, like the whenever you speak to the young ones, any young player at every club and I say you'll say, look, I'm going to put you in loan and they want to go top of the championship, you know. <laughs> you explain them and say, look, it's better if you go down a level because then you're going to have guaranteed to play, you're going to go and enjoy it and, you know, you'll develop there. It's all about game time, you know. So we always, we've got Gary Kirk as the, kind of covers the loans for us, as a loan manager. So Gary will, and I will sit down, but used to be with John, but with Easy as well, and the rest of the staff, and we'll decide, right, what clubs suit the players that we're going to put them to. You know, it's a Finley mm-hmm. ball that will go out probably kind of mid-February, and you know, we'll keep him with us. We'll have you know, a number of games. He's still kind of come back for a foot problem. 
But in mid-February, we'll look at the, the teams in probably League One and League Two, and we'll decide, right, these are the two or three teams that we believe, one, he's going to go and play in, and two, it's going to help him his development, because, you know, like a Finlay, there's no point Finlay going to a team that's, you know, they play 4-4-2 and they're two centre midfielders. One of them's a captain, the other one's a most experienced player. You know, he's going to go there, he's going to get a game. So you have to look at the squads and say, right, this is where he's going to play. This is where he'll get game time. So when he gets out there, he's actually going to play. So, you know, a lot of thought goes into where they go, you know, and ultimately, once they get there, it's up to them to stay in the team and develop from there as well. But yeah, it's, I think it's really important that you communicate with them and say that these are the reasons we're taking you out and putting you on loan. You know, and here is the plan to try and get you to a level where you can come into the first team. It's definitely a lot better than when I was there and Shabba thought I was at Airdrie instead of Air, which makes it a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> Your heart sank, didn't it, when he, he said you had a good result at the weekend? <laughs> we got beat 2 0 and he thought that Airdrie had won 5 0, so he thought I'd done well, but I refused to tell him. I had a good at Dundee United. It's one of the young boys at Dundee United, set a half, and he said, so I came in on Monday morning, I said, as I said, I have said, how did you do? He says, I thought I did really well. I said, son, you get beat 7-0. How can you do that? <laughs> 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 so I said, oh, Touching on, uh, on transfers, there's obviously been um, a good bit of business. Is that something that you're heavily involved in? Or I think you've said previously that you sort of tell Joe the players you're looking after or looking for and, and what positions, and then he sort of brings you a short list. Is that still the the kind of way it works, or can you give us a bit of an insight into yeah, so how you got sort of those players? Basically, the way it works is like we I have we, we've been playing three four three. So I give Joe and Will Lansfield, who's the head of recruitment, um, kind of KPIs and say this is what I'm looking for for a player. So, for instance, if a We've looked to source a striker at the moment. The striker's got to make movements in behind, you know, so he's got to be repetitive runs, you know, high speed running distance, top speed high, you know, that's the type of player we're looking for. So there's loads of these kind of KPIs that I give him. He then goes and sources it. So we have Will Lansfield as like more of a traditional scout. He'll, so he'll watch the games, you know, so he will... You know, I'll say, I'll look for this, he'll try and flag them up by watching them. We have a number of scouts that are out here out watching games or watching them on video, but we also have George Brown who does the, the data recruitment side of it. So again, George will filter that into, you know, he's got a, on his laptop, he's got, a, I don't know what it is, it's these algorithm things that he uses, puts it in and that'll flag up players. And it's interesting that Cammy Devlin came through, George flagging it up through the stats, whereas Benny Beningame came through Will Lansfield because he had their eyes on him and watched him in games. So both of them came from different avenues of the recruitment department. And then they were both brought into me and Joe, and I looked at them and I thought, right, you know, we'll go for both of them to bring them in. So it's two different areas that we're trying to cover. And I find it really good because it's having um, George Brown there that can filter through like thousands of players within you know, a matter of seconds. You know, if we're looking for a, a centre midfielder that does X, Y and Z, he can find you, you know, 50 of them. And then it's up to Will to then filter through and go, right, well, this guy's coming from this league. That's not going to be a level that's good enough to play in Scotland. And then we kind of filter them all the way down. Then let's say they'll come to me and I'll have a, watch, I'll have a look at them and go, right, you know, that's the one I want. That's the number two target. That's number three target. And then Joe then go out and basically try and do the deal with the agent. So 
that's the way it works, and it's been, you know, touch wood, it continues to be pretty successful. Robbie, so, have you given up on John Suter staying at the football club af- after the summer? Uh, and regardless, are you already looking for a potential replacement if he does go? We'd love to keep John. You know, we're still hopeful that he'll make that decision to stay with us. You know, is, it, is he going to do it? I'm not sure. You know, I know there's been a lot of suitors for him. Excuse the pun. You know, but there's been a lot of guys, that, teams that have been watching him. There's been a number of players as well. So, yeah, look, we, we are looking... At centre halves just now, we're looking at centre halves for the summer. You know, we always have to be ready. You know, it's not just you know John Suter. You know, we're looking at the striker position. We're looking at left wing back position. You know, we're covered in the right wing back area. We were looking centre midfield wise as well because there was loads of interest in Benny Beningame and Cami Devlin prior to the window opening. You know, Benny getting injuries has been less interest, but we have to look at all these areas. And it's just the nature of the, the beast. To be honest with you. You know, when the team does well, bigger teams are going to come and try and take your players. So we always have to be constantly looking and saying, right, we need to fill this area. We need to be ready in case somebody takes this guy because he's doing well. So, mm. yeah, like, you know, players will come, players will go. You know, it's part and parcel of the game. We have to make sure that we, you know, we fill spaces and get good players in. I mean, with John Suter, there's been speculation about clubs down south and, and Rangers up here. When you came on the last time, you said, look, uh, unless it's a ridiculous amount, there's no point in selling a player when you potentially could have that player until the end of the season. And, and that could get you over the line as far as, as Europe is, is concerned. And like, we, we can only go with, with the speculation we're reading in the press from, from down south and, and pre-contracts and everything like that. Are you aware if John has signed a pre-contract yet or would it take a hell of an offer if it was someone like Rangers for him to be uh, allowed to go before the summer is up? Yeah, first of all, you know, I don't think John signed him anywhere, you know, so I'd be surprised because none, there's been no contact made to us. Secondly, like, it's the same as we said all along, you know, that early in this season is to, to get European qualification. You know, it's firstly, it's brilliant for the club, it's brilliant for the fan base. It's you know very lucrative to get into that position. You know if you finish third and you know either if we finish third and either ourselves Rangers or Celtic win the cup, then you go into the playoff play position for Europa League. You win that, you know it takes you at a different level. If you don't win that, you go directly into the Conference League, which again takes you in a different level again. So it's really really important that we keep the group together. You know I think you will remember. Four or five years ago, eh, when we lost Osmond So, after the window had closed, you know, and I felt that that had a real, not just losing the player, but it had a real effect in the dressing room, it had an effect on the club, on the fan base that we'd lost a, one of our key players. You know, and we ended up that season, although we, we finished third, I felt we, we kind of drifted over the line that year. You know, and in my opinion, we have to keep the best players we've got at the team. And if it means, you know, it's at the end of the season that they go, it's at the end of the season they go. Unless there's a crazy bid come in, but, you know, I don't expect one to come in. If, um, hypothetically, John Suter signed for another club in Scotland, um, the fan base, a lot of the fans wouldn't be pleased about that. Uh, would that come into the thinking about the next five, six months? Or, or how do you think the likes of, of John would, would handle that if there was a bit of a potential backlash? And we're all, we're talking obviously hypothetically. 
all it, it's, it's all hypothetical at the moment. You know, we're still hopeful that John will, will decide to stay. So, you know, until things change, then for me, John's a top player, you know. John will continue to play in the team and he'll continue to do well, you know, and we just take it game by game. In terms of players signing, um, you've already got one new signing um, in Nathaniel Atkinson. So apart from Ryan probably about to chime in and ask about his um, finder's fee for for mentioning it a, a wee while back on this podcast. Never bring the finder's fee, Laurie. I'm, I'm waiting for... We've had about <laughs> half an hour and he's still not asked Robbie to sign him yet. What's up yesterday? Oh, yeah. <laughs> When he was well, saying looking for a centre back in summer, I was thinking, oh well, hey, when he goes up. No, I don't know. <laughs> any he said ones. you were a right. Guys, he said you were a right back, so that rules you. Out, uh, utility, it? utility. I can play anywhere. Oh, okay, play anywhere. Okay, okay. Well, all he needs to do is pull a Larry Kingston, just knock for, for five, six, <laughs> five, six years <laughs> off his age, and then he falls within the five, six years. That's like that. Canu did that, but it was like twenty years off his age, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you've obviously got a, a young, exciting uh, Australian right back um, in Nathaniel Atkinson. So, how did that one come about, and, and what can we expect from him? Yeah, well, he's, I'm really, really excited to see him. To be honest with you, they know he's, you know, but that was again, it was two channels. So that one, he actually he flagged up again through George and what we were looking for, and then he flagged up from Mark Donaldson as well. What's happened here, but. <laughs> Is it another avenue that we looked down uh, using our, uh, our American I wonder skill. where that came from. <laughs> so I, I think it'll be top for us, to be honest. We have a really good athlete, good age, good type. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Happy Meals and McDonald's cost considerably more in the United Kingdom. So does, is, is that why you're getting away with the, the fee being a British Happy Meal or, or is it a set meal? Uh, in, in kind of uh, the witchery what did we end up agreeing on the easy tiger we'll, uh, we'll agree on the few ones once you come over Mark <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not just obviously the new signings you know we've you've touched on the Craig Gordon deal but we've already had confirmation the last uh, what, 24 48 hours that Craig Halkett's signed a new deal um, that must be a uh, not just, I suppose, a relief when you you have got a few players out of contract, but a big boost because we've spoken about it on the podcast a few times, you know, Halkett's come under some criticism and I think rightly so before this season, you know, and at times before you were at the club, but he's, I would say in my eyes, been the most improved player and I think he's actually been, you can argue for him being our best outfield player this season. Yeah, I think I've been really pleased with Craig, to be honest with you. I spoke to him when I first came in and what I expected from and what I felt we had to improve on and to be honest to his credit he's taken it on board you know and he's got himself really fit you know he's looking good and he's now in a position where I think he should be pushing to get the run about the Scotland squad you know when you look at their centre halves that are in that area you know and the age of them and a lot of them aren't playing with their parent teams so yeah I've been pleased with Craig you know I think come back to like re-signing the players it's something that myself Joe and the board spoke about and the continuity is really, really important at a football club, you know, and you can, you know, you, you see these teams that change 10, 12 players every, every summer and they'll have one good year, then they'll have five bad years, you know, and so having that base of 
you know, good characters, good players that know the club, that are steady, uh, can play at the level we, that we want to play at is really important. So for me, it wasn't, you know, the key thing, especially just now, wasn't really about signing new players. It was about making sure we re-sign the players that we've got or as many as we can. You know, so there's still a few more that we're looking to, to try and get deals organised with to keep them here. You know, because like, it's really, really important. That I, I think the fans need people that they can relate to as well. You know, people that, that know the club and, you know, too much, too much of football, it's like guys will come for six months and then go somewhere else. So I think it's really important that we have that continuity. Is your dog getting excited? Is that find out Kingsley's got Kingsley's got a new deal? It's all right. <laughs> this is where I put some uh, lift music in. Do 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 do. Eleven. I, I was going to make eleven. I was. I was trying to think of a terrible um, dog-related joke. It's like I'm, I might be barking up the wrong tree here. But what about? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. This is all. This is all staying it with yeah, with um fine. with with live music with live well, music. I'm just there uh, in the back room. I thought that was maybe Stephen Kingsley arriving at your door and just to <laughs> confirm his new deal. It was John Suter. I mean, I just let him out the boot there. Stone. <laughs> 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 Robbie, does that help you in speaking to those players? Obviously getting Dog. Craig signed with both Craig's, <laughs> both Craig's <laughs> signing. I've been in changing rooms where that's when you start seeing boys getting signed up. It feels like you want to be a part of this journey and, you know, you touched on Europe next year and, and winning cups. Is that a big selling point when you speak to Kingsley and other boys to say, listen, you're going to be in a changing room that you know all the players, you know it's a good environment. Is that a real selling point for yeah, you just now? Point. You know, it was one of the reasons we, we tried to get Craig Gordon signed up first was because we knew if, if we could get Craig signed up, then the rest, Craig's a really influential player in the dressing room, obviously club captain, you know, played at the highest level. So by him committing himself to the club for the next few years meant that he could then speak to, you know, how he'll speak to other guys and go, right, you know, this is, this is what we're trying to do. You know, I can speak to them about where we want to get to. You know, we want to do European football, we want to win cups, we want to get into group stages, you know. But when it comes from within the dressing room, it's really important as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's like you get one signed up, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one. So, you know, there's a couple that we hope to do in the next next few days that will be great for us. I just, just thought you were going to tell us there that Kingsley had announced it yet and you're going to give us a scoop. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> next, next day or two, hopefully. We're not far away on that one. Just have to come up with another Alan Partridge um, meme for Twitter with the Hearts social media account uh, firing on uh, on being on top form. Um, I want to kind of deviate away from uh, from kind of additions and, and players um, because I, I want to talk about the season as as a whole. Have your aims and goals for the season changed given how well you've started and played in the first half of the season, Rob? Not really, to be honest with you. And I think that, you know, I've always believed coming up that we should be fighting for, you know, that third place. You know, did I expect to be five points clear at this stage in the season? I thought it could be, you know, but I think it, it was a big ask to do it against two teams, or two or three teams that are 
pretty consistent in the league for the last few years. But, you know, when you, I, I knew we had a strong base. I knew if we added the right players to it, then we'd be there or thereabouts. It. But, you know, still 18 games to go. So we have to make sure we show that consistency again. And, you know, this next kind of, I think about eight games in 26 days. You know, mm. Seven or eight will be league games. That, that'll be a real defining period uh, in the season. So, you know, first and foremost, it's important we get all the boys fit for it and ready for it. And then we make sure that we pick up as many points as we can. Because, you know, if we can maintain that lead or even increase that lead after this period, then we'll be in a real good position. We would love to get back into to Europe. I remember um, chatting with you in Estonia and in Malta, um, probably I think the last time we, we, we played in Europe. How would you say you are a better manager now than you were then? Yeah, I think it's, the experience is massive. You know, probably you know, 250 games under my belt, potentially, you know, from the, the previous games in Europe. And when I always look back on it and think, you know, what could we have done better in those games? And there's a number of things I think we could have done better. The preparation for the games could have been better. You know, game management could have been better. You know, I think we... European football is totally different from Scottish football. Totally different. You know, it's, when you play against these teams, most of them are like counter-attacking teams will sit in and they make it very, very difficult for you to play and generally they've got real quality. So you really can't open up in the game. You know, and... When I look back in the games we played in Europe previously, you know, I felt at times we were too open in the games, you know. So, you know, hopefully we can get the chance to to uh, learn a few more lessons when we if we can get back to Europe. But I do think it's, you know, you know yourself coming to the games. It's get, it, European nights have got something special about them at, at Tynecastle. You know, mm. I don't know that is if it's like the, the time of year that they usually happen at, but you come in, the floodlights are on. There's always that kind of there's a feel about the place, you know, so hopefully we can get back to that because it is, it's, it's just a, it's just different class to be able to play in these games and be involved in it. That <clears throat> takes us perfectly to a, another subject, actually, because when we were speaking at the start of the season, we'd obviously just ended a campaign uh, in which you had no fans at all at any point at Tynecastle, and you spoke about maybe some of the some of the struggles in matches at home and you felt that the lack of fans um, really affected your team, especially in terms of not having that pressure, the intensity to drive the players on. How, First of all, how big a positive impact has it been to have the fans back? And then second of all, was it a noticeable change to then go back to having no fans against Ross County? Because I really felt like it did have, a, have a, an impact on the intensity of the team. Honestly, like see, see the game against Ross County, I, I, that was one of the hardest games that I've been involved in because previously when we had no fans there, we were like, we were basically just grinding it, you know, grinding it out. Win the league until the fans come back because it's like, you know, the games are so, I don't want to say difficult to play in, but just no good, you know, rotten. You know, you play these games. <laughs> You know, it was a grind. And then we get the fans back and it was, you know, you, you could get through those games because we were always saying, right, you know, we get promoted, fans are back, full house, this place will be rocking. So we managed to get promoted. The fans come back, the place is rocking. And then we turned up at Ross County, uh, for the Ross County game at Tynecastle. And 
I found it really hard, you know, trying to get up for the game. You know, I speak to my staff about it. I was like, we need to bring the energy to the players because, you know, this is a this could potentially us be going back to, you know, could be one game, it could be to the end of the season, you know, and it was like like tough, tough, tough game, you know. And it, it was exactly the same as the games last season, you know. We start the game, we're comfortable, we get two goal lead, and the game dies of death. You know, and there's no atmosphere. It's just like, you know, you see the game out, win the game up the road, on to the next one. You know, and that's that that I found that game really hard. And I did, you know, it highlights that the difference when the fans are there is night and day, honestly. It's like it's just a total different game, different game, different atmosphere, different enjoyment. And I think if we'd if we'd continue with no fans there, it'd have been a slog, that's for sure. I know that there was lots of discussions between clubs and the SPFL and the government, etc. And obviously, it's not something you would have been involved in with in terms of the decisions. But was there a discussion at the the club between management and players about the feelings when it was up in the air whether the you know whether would be they'd actually play the games up until the originally scheduled winter break or whether they would just stop as they ended up doing? Was that something that you guys had a, a chat about at the time before a decision yeah, well, was made? I spoke to Andrew McKinley about it, you know, he'd asked me what my thoughts on were it, but to be honest, you know, I think the decision gets made well above my head. You know, I just gave my thoughts, you know. I'll be honest with you, like initially I was like, you know, play the games, let's play the games, because we were on a good run of form, you know, we're going right, we've got a couple of teams that we're playing against that are struggling, you know, get the points on the board. But to be honest with you, as soon as I turned up at Tynecastle for that Ross County game, I was like, Pfft. Thank God we're not playing them, you know. Let's get this one out of the way and then hopefully get the fans back as quick as we can. I was just wanted to see what your, if you went from Saturday to Saturday, what's your training schedule like in terms of video sessions? Do you have specific meetings with, you know, defenders, midfielders, or is it as a group? Can you just give the fans a sort of rundown from a, a Saturday to Saturday usual hearts week? Generally, Saturday to Saturday, we'll, we'll come in the Sunday. So we'll play Saturday, we'll come in Sunday. We will, guys that have played will do a recovery session and the guys that haven't played will do a, a real tough blast, you know. And then Monday, we'll then, it'll be the day off for the players. We feel that's the best way to do it because, you know, the guys that play on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they're still quite stiff. You know, by the time they come to Tuesday, they're almost fully recovered and it means that they the guys that have trained on the Sunday hard are at the same level and then we build through. So we'll usually do Tuesday will be session in the morning, gym session afternoon. Wednesday will be a single. We'll do Thursday will be a session in the morning, gym in the afternoon. And then Friday will be just a single session in preparation for the game. Uh, video wise, sometimes we'll do the post-match video on a Sunday. Just depends how the game's been. Sometimes we'll do it on a Tuesday. So that if it's a Tuesday one, it'll be post-match Tuesday. Wednesday, we'll sometimes do some individual video with players. It just depends what we're doing. Thursday will be match prep for the Saturday. And then Friday will be match prep set place. And then prior to the game, we'll do 15, 20-minute video as a group. And then we also have individual clips for the players. So, for instance, if... Uh, Michael Smith's playing against Ross County, he's playing against Charles Cook or Hingbo or whoever it is, we have individual video clips that he can watch. That goes that gets shown before the game and with a laptop, but they also get it put on WhatsApp. So we've got a WhatsApp group 
that the boys can watch as well. So that's kind of the standard week, you know. It can change quite a bit to be honest week because you'll have your midweek games, you'll have Sunday yeah, games. Yeah. So, but that's that's kind of where we try to get to, you know. So the boys will get like, one day off a week and then the rest of it they're just prepping. Last time Hearts went away from home to a non-league side in the Scottish Cup, we don't need to remind anybody what happened. What has been learned from that that will make sure that it won't happen again when you go to Ayrshire? Yeah, I think it will be a total different game, to be honest with you, because I think we'll have about, there'll be about 3,500 fans there, so I expect it to be a real good atmosphere about the place. You know, when I look back in the, the team last season, you know, there's not many of them left, to be honest with you. You know, a lot of them... Um, didn't play again, to be honest with you. So, ah, there's been a lot of changes since then, you know, and I expect us to go down there and, and perform, that's for sure. When you were on last time, you, you spoke about the systems ahead of the Premiership campaign and you said that there'd be two systems you were you were looking to play and you'd have your, your core group of players for those systems. Um, I know largely we've we've seen that employed with the 3-4-3 being your favourite and you, you have adjusted to maybe more of a 4-2-3-1 at certain times. Has your thinking changed at all as the season's progressed or are you still kind of quite set on kind of two main approaches, obviously with room for a little bit of tinkering here and there? We do adapt through the season a wee bit, you know, but originally at the start of the season we said we would go 3-4-3 and we're going to play like almost a, it was a 4-3-3, but it was like a 1 and a 2, you know, but as we've progressed in the season, we've we've changed it. So we still play 3-4-3, but we'll alter at times into a 4-2-3-1. We just felt it was like, at times when you play in Scotland, teams are, are very, very direct. And it's all about the first contact and the second contact. And we played with one sitter. You know, we were getting a wee bit exposed when the ball when the ball gets played forward in the opposition. Even if a, a centre-half don't win it, it drops in an area. And at times it was like 2v1 against us. So we can alter that shape to make sure that we've got two in there. So it gives us more of a base to try and control the game. Because, you know... For all you talk about tactics in Scottish football at times, you know, the game becomes real unpredictable when a team gets it from their goalkeeper and bangs it up the pitch and then it's all about where it knocks, where it lands. So we change to still 4-3-4-3, but at times we're going to a 4-2-3-1. Defensively, we're more a 4-4-2, you know, we pivot a wee bit, so it's something that we've adapted a wee bit, but that was again to try and make sure that we've got numbers in the central area, you know, which is you know, if you get overloaded in the central area, nine times out of ten, you're going to lose control of the game. So even in that 3-4-3, three, three, we'll, we'll shift a wee bit to make sure we get more bodies in that central area because at times you can, when you've just got two in there, if teams are playing with three, you can get overloaded. So it has adapted a wee bit, but we're still pretty much on the same track as we, we decided to at the start of the season. What formation were you playing at Dens Park? Because in that second half, I couldn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, Laurie, that was the best I've ever seen Hearts play. That that last honestly. <laughs> I want to ask you about Ryan McGowan's debut because you played in it. And the reason for this, we, we do a quiz, um, and Ryan's not been the best at answering questions about himself in games oh, that he played he in. It. What? I just want to ask Robbie the same question I asked you. So I don't know if you remember the game against Kloppenberg. It was a pre-season friendly, Rob, uh, <laughs> in July 2007. Uh-huh. Do, you remember, do you remember that one at all? Where is Kloppenberg? Where is that? Germany. 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 Okay. Ryan 
played for Hearts for the first time that game, and he doesn't really remember it too much. But there was another player that played for Hearts that day who never played again. He was a trialist, and by the looks of things, pretty shite. Do you remember who he was? He was a foreigner. Remember who he was? 2000 and when? 2007. I'm just trying to think who'd have been about in that time. Who'd have been a also, Hundreds. Uh, hundreds of people around that time. I don't know that time. There was like containers of players coming in. Should <laughs> 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 I know? Should I know? Donkey. No. Um, Portuguese lad. Portuguese lad. Oh, was that the wee fullback? No. Mm, no, that was yeah. uh, that was Tino Costa, I think you're thinking of. Tino it or not? Costa. There's a story about Tino. I don't know if you've heard the story. Well, about tell me. Tino Costa. The, the club signed him and he was meant to be a six foot two fullback. <laughs> and somebody went to pick him up at the airport and he was like five foot seven. Very signed him. Jesus. <laughs> the recruitment days of Romanoff. So uh, I, don't, I don't know, Mark. I don't know. There was a guy called Rui Bayao. Still don't know, mate. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I don't think the official Kloppenberg podcast has spoken about this game as much as we have on <laughs> Charles Um den Trichter, as they would call it over there. That's what I'm up against. That was one of my questions. Uh, were you there, Mark? We had a game. No, no. But Ryan played and still can't even remember. He can't even remember the time he played in a preseason friendly with his brother for the first time ever oh. against Wraith. The friendlies they don't count. I know they don't. They don't. No, they don't count. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about Robbie, actually, which um quite pertinent, and I think given that we're on a podcast and Ryan McGowan, the Aussies, on this Hearts podcast from his from his room in Kuwait, um, and I know you've said it a few times. You've you've already said it in this podcast about being a Hearts fan, and and you've said it previously on on and on the podcast. Um, you're obviously you're not an Edinburgh boy. Paisley boy, you were at Rangers Boys Club, and was it sixteen you signed for Hearts? You know, yes. Ryan's, yeah. Ryan's, um, Ryan's from across the other side of the world came over here as a teenager. But guys like you two and lots of other players seem to get very attached to the club, and it does seem to draw people in, not just when they're involved, but later on. Why would you think? Why do you think that is? I mean, does that make it easier as a manager to? to attract players and to maybe keep players. There does seem to be something about hearts that um, that gets under people's skin in a good way most of the time. 100%, but I have no idea what it is. It's just when, you know, players come and they get an affinity with the club. I don't know if it's the, the atmosphere of the club, you know, the, the atmosphere of the stadium or the city, you know, but as you know, you speak to loads of guys, you know, that have been at the club for maybe two years, three years, and, you know, it's the best time of their lives. You know, and I think a lot of players they don't realise it until they leave. You know what what the club is about and how they miss it so much. It is, but it's to be honest, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely something that's there. You know, you speak to still speak to Bruno Aguilar now and again. You know, Carapides, guys like this. You know, and they still speak with an affinity of the club, even though they're only here for you know maybe two or three years. You know, Taki Faces, guys like that. It's I, I don't know what it is, but it's just there's something special there. In terms of becoming a manager, one thing that we'd spoken about as well, especially since Ryan's got to start considering his career options now. Is it, <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving this podcast soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> last, jokes. Well, Robbie gets to replace you. 
Last, <laughs> last, last big contract for him till he either till he either writes for the Daily Record, goes on Sports Sound, or maybe becomes a manager. When did when did you first realise you wanted to to be a manager? Uh, probably, I'd say towards the end of my career. No, no, no probably not. I would say the first real manager that that I kind of liked his tactical stuff was Shaba. To be honest with you. Oh, don't tell Ryan that. No, but I was uh, like, see, or, J- or Jamie McDonald, he doesn't like him either. But prior to that, like a lot of the stuff was just you know warm up boxes, possession, big games. Then you got the road to a bit of shooting in again, and then there's a team going play. It wasn't really until Shaba came in. For us, Shaba, you know, he had his his nuances, and he had to, you know he could talk for fun. But I got on really well because you know all his stuff was tactical based you know you were good and you would do a warm up and it was tactical you know it would talk to the team about tactics you know and it talked to us at the time I was the captain towards the end it would speak to me about tactics and I've started felt that I started to see the game and I'd be a bit of different light as well and I went down to Leicester and I would get really friendly with a guy Steve Beagle who was the under 23s coach at the time Steve I was down there my wife stayed up the road for about the first year or something Steve was down there with his family we, we would talk about coaching and he would get me out coaching in the afternoon when we were under 18 so that's really when I get a kind of feel that I wanted to go and do it you know and then towards the end of my career towards, I was pretty lucky a, a lot of the people I worked with you know not just managers but coaches as well you know I went left Leicester went to Brentford and worked under Mark Warburton and Warburton was a brilliant honestly like, what, a, what a good coach Marcus like everything is about his formation his tactics really really good Went there and then came up, was at Dundee United, did a bit of work in the academy there. And then, lucky enough, I went to Falkirk with, uh, with Alex Smith. I don't know if he's know. Remember Alex Smith? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So Alex, like the godfather of Scottish coaching. That's that. Funny thing. Alex over in Australia now. Alex That's right, yeah. Three or four years ago now. But I still speak to him, you know, probably two or three times a month now. But Alec was absolutely brilliant, brilliant. What a guy, man, what a coach. For a young coach to run at Falkirk and, you know, have a guy with that experience. And also Alec did, used to take like the A licence, B licence, pro licence. So every day I was getting a guy coming out and watching me, coaching the kids and giving you information, talking to you about what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. So that, that for me was probably the luckiest period of my career that I'm, I was there for about 18 months with Alec. Stephen Presley was the manager at the time. Stephen tactically was really good as well. Really good. A lot of young players that were coming through and it was all tactics, tactics, tactics. So, you know, that, that gave me a real good grounding. And then after that, actually, I went to East Fife as a kind of player coach, well, player assistant manager. But to be honest, I never really played. My knee was shot to pop at that point. Well, you, you, did, you did play at Ibrox, didn't you, as a trialist? <laughs> and a, and a, yeah. certain, a certain Lee McCulloch um, did a right in that game against you that he was unaware of. I, I wouldn't say I played, Mark. I was, I was on the pitch, mate. I was on the pitch. Playing <laughs> <laughs> at half that day, mate. And I was, I was um, man marking like, the penalty spot most of the game, mate. <laughs> So, Did he uh, mention it? Because when he was on, we, we we brought this up and he wasn't aware. And then we even managed to dig out a picture of him um, beating you in the air, I think, for one of the goals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a good experience. Being at East Five, I loved it, to be honest with you. It was a, the, the people there were brilliant. I had a guy, Willie Aitchison, was the, the manager at the time. Always brilliant as well. Willie would you know, let me go and take a lot of the coaching. So I went from like, you know, coaching the younger ones at Falkirk to going and coaching men. 
you know, coaching first team players, you know, what difference it is when you do that. So it gives you that, it gives you the experience, but also gives you the confidence to to go and get your ideas across. So I've been quite lucky in the, the places I've ended up to get coaching experience. Robbie, you said that um, Shabba obviously used to speak to you and a few of the senior players. Is that something that you do now at Hearts? Would you speak to Craig or a couple of the boys and and sort of throw your feelings out of how you're going to approach certain games or do you sort of kind of leave them out of that? I think it's really important to get them to buy into it, to be honest with you. And I think these, especially the experience of some of the senior players that we've got at the club have got that, you know, a lot of the time you... You know, I have my ideas and I'll go, right, this is what I'm thinking, you know, what are you thinking? And they'll, they'll come across with stuff and, you know, make a decision about what we want to do. There is times when you need to say, no, this is what we're doing. But, you know, I think, you know, football for me has changed in the last, probably the last 10, 15 years where, you know, previously it was very much like whatever the manager says, that's what you do. You know, if he tells you to go and do 50 laps of the pitch, you go and do it. You know, but the game's changed now. People have changed now. It's about getting them to buy into what you're trying to do, you know, and explain why I want you to go and do this and the reasons we're doing it. And then they have their input as well. And then you make a decision about what you want to do. So, you know, we have a, a group of players, senior ones that, that I'll speak to, you know, get their ideas. They'll put theirs across as well. And then we make a final decision on it. I want to end this part um, of the, the podcast, Robin. Thank you for, for joining us. Just with a quick word about... Craig Gordon, you spoke there about 10 and 15 years ago. 2006, your tackle and, and him in goal in the cup final against Gretna. It's great to see him back at the club. What would you say is the biggest thing that he has improved in that time, given he was excellent back then compared with what he is now? His looks. Definitely. definitely <laughs> yeah, his gear is so much better, to be honest with you. Back then, my God, it was, uh, wasn't it great, but he's... Craig now is, is an experienced keeper, you know, he's got a calmness to him, you know, he's been there, got the t-shirt, played at the highest level, nothing flusters him, you know, and again, harking back to what I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, that, you know, that calmness in the, the, in the goalkeeper spreads throughout the whole team, spreads into the midfield, spreads into the forward, spreads into the stand, and everyone has that calmness, so, you know, that that's what he brings to the team, and you know, he's still, a, in my opinion, a world-class goalkeeper. So, you know, to have him here for another couple of years is great. Did, did you discuss what happens after that? Because he's always on at us saying, how many more games do I need to beat this record? He's, he's, he's heart's daft. He wants to, to basically make as many heart's records unbeatable in the future or close to unbeatable as possible. Is this him a, a kind of lifer now at the football club and that when he does end up um, at the age of 74, handing his gloves to 50-year-old Harry Stone. Um, do, do, do you think he'll he'll stay on as a as a goalkeeping coach or have you seen essences of him that you think that might he might be more than just a goalkeeping coach and he could be a manager? Yeah, I think I think you know, to be honest, Craig's Craig's got to that level where he can make the decision what he wants to do next at hearts, to be honest with you. You know he's Obviously, the next couple of years, we're, we're expecting them to continue to play and then hopefully they'll transition and someone else will come in. But once he gets to that point, the decision will be really what, what he decides he wants to do. Does he want to, you know, does he want to stay in the, the football department, you know, whether it be a coach, a manager? Does he want to transition into maybe the other side of the game? You know, so, and I think Craig's earned the right to, to make that decision. And 
wants the club will back him 100% whatever he wants to do and I think you know knowing Craig as well as I do I think he'd be a success whatever he decides to go and do Right Robbie before we let you go obviously when we spoke to you last time you gave us a a rating for last season in terms of the league we, we, we kind of veered away from the Cups I don't think you could give a rating for those last campaign but in terms of this season so far we're talking about half term report cards so let's do it more like a, a half term report card you've got a grades A to F what would be your what would be your grade for you, the performance so far of your team this season and, and um, what would the summary be for you I always think these things are quite hard because for me one in the league is an A isn't it you know so that's probably what ultimately want to get to. I would say we're probably looking at at this moment in time. Probably a B, you know, B we could do better. You know, still, I'm a great believer in that, you know, you can't rest on your laurels. We need to be keep pushing, keep getting the team forward and you know, don't settle for where we are. You know, start aiming for second place, aiming for first place as well. That's, that's got to be where we get to, you know, and that, that's the ultimate aim. So I'm sitting here now. How have we done? I think we've done all right. I think we've done at times done well, but I think we can do better. That's good. That's what people want to hear. I think, and I think I think that's I think that's pretty fair. I would say so far. I think it's been a a good season. But you always want to you want to improve. I, I think that's fair. I think, guys. Yeah, we we did a thing. How long how, how long ago was it? November time. We we kind of gave a rating for each game out of five, and we kind of had a B or a, or a B plus. As well, like the, the thing is, patience is is something that very few of us have anymore. And you, you're one game away from what the hell is he doing? And you're one game away from God. This is this is outstanding. This this is brilliant. I suppose you can't be too down after a, a bad result or bad performance. You've just got to find a way to make sure it doesn't happen again. And then concurrently, you enjoy a good time but you can't enjoy it too much because there's something else just around the corner Rob Yeah I think that that's probably the hardest thing as a manager is you know getting the balance between the two you know I'm very much that if, if we have a bad performance and lose a game then it really really eats away at me you know mm. eats into your family life when you come home you know for the next two, three, four days your job as a manager is to make sure that when you come back in you know, you have you bring that energy to the, the players, and yeah, you rectify the mistake. But you have to be getting them ready for the Saturday. And then, you know, on the flip side of it, when we win a game, I'm very much like, you know, I'm right next game, next game. So, you know, it's uh, that's that's the balance that I find quite hard to uh, probably over accentuate the the defeats and you know really fuel them. But as the wins, at times. I'm like, right, that's done on the next one. I mean, I should probably try and enjoy it a wee bit more, but I just feel that, you know, once you win, you want to win the next one, you want to win the next one, you know, and that's... So trying to balance those two off is... It's one that probably all managers find very, very difficult to do. Just just before you go, I like to, if possible, with, with our guests, take Hearts fans inside a dressing room or whatever, because it's somewhere we can never get to. Uh, it's, it's kind of sacred in there. Um, a quick story, um, when Paul Mariner and Alan Brazil and the guys used to play at Ipswich, they used to have bets prior to the game on how long Bobby Robson's pre-match team talk would be. And it was usually between 30 and 40 minutes. But as long as it finished before the horse racing at Haydock, they were okay. Are you a, 
a, a kind of storyteller before a game? Do you spend much time? When do you spend your time in the changing room um, with the players? Or do you just let them get on with it and it, it only needs five minutes from you? What, what happens um, before a game as far as you're concerned? Well, like most of our prep honest, is done two days before it, you know. So Thursday, Friday, we'll do the videos. So the players, do, by the time they come to the game, they should really know what we're trying to do, you know, and having the system we play, it's pretty consistent. So it's just a case of pre-match, we reiterate, you know, what we're trying to do in the game, maybe the key points, what the opposition will do, how we need to stop it. And then there'll be certain games where, you know, you, you'll maybe have more of a speech and talk to them, you know, and say, you know, if we're playing a certain team, you know, this is why we need to win the game and try and get them riled up that way. Other times, you know, you just let them go on with it, you know, depending how the game is and how you feel. But you know, time-wise, probably 10 minutes max, you know, 15 yeah. minutes push. And then, you know what happens? Once I've, I'll do that about 25 to 2, and then the players will then get ready. I'll generally kind of stay out of the way from there. You know, the players will get ready. They'll go out about quarter past 2 with the coaching staff, and then they'll come back in at 10 to 3. When they come back in at 10 to 3, then I'm always there. And then that's when I start going with the players individually and start talking to them about, you know, try to rile them up a wee bit and get them going and talk to the staff and find out, you know, what do we need, you know, how how is the, the mood, you know, and the warm up is there anybody that needs what do they somebody need a wee chat to, does somebody need a wee jag? So most of my work's done the days before it, run about half one and then the last ten minutes before they go. So that one thirty chat, the one thirty five brief chat that you have, and then um, you kind of leave them to it. Is that when? Because that's around the time that you get the the opposition lineup. Is that when you start there, or or do you do what Brazil Mariner and Co did and and go and find out what's happening at Haydock in the horse race? <laughs> no, that's, so that comes in about quarter. I think it needs to be in for quarter to two. So the staff will bring it into the office, and then we'll look and we'll see right, what's the team going to play, and then we'll do the set plays. You know, so we'll put you know X player will go with Y player and all these kind of things, and then they'll go and put it up on the board. You know, and then. They'll go around and speak to the boys individually about you know who they're playing against, what they do, things like that. But you know, to be honest, I'm a believer that the prep should be done really before the day of the game. The players should know what they're doing. You know, it shouldn't be a case of you have to go to the game and go right today. We're playing this formation, and this team will do this, and then we need to do X, Y, and Z because yeah, you know what players are like. Girls are they go out and lucky for remember three things. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what player. But you can throw ahead, you can overcomplicate things with players. You know, if you give them too much, then it takes away their natural ability, you know, and that freedom that they have because they're so worried about, oh no, in this situation, I'm meant to be there, and then that I'm meant to be there, you know, and this one I'm meant to be there. That's why I feel that if you've got consistency of formation, you can drip feed that through the course of the season so that they don't, they're doing it, but they're not actually really thinking about it. They just subconsciously know they need to do it. You know, and then that allows them to have that freedom. And I, I, are, are you a wee notes kind of guy? You know, you see, you pass a note to someone, pass it around the team. Nah, that's that's just for formation. To be honest, because like sometimes when you're at, you know at Tidecast when there's twenty thousand, it's rocking. You're like screaming onto somebody, and you you know you can scream onto, say for instance, Michael Smith's next to me. I'll shout to Michael, right, Michael, we need to change it to you know three five two. And if Michael doesn't hear that right, Michael can then. Feed the <laughs> 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 <
pass it around there. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's just as basic as that, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm just just imagine you're trying to tell one player that we're going all out defence by the time he gets to the other side. It's like what we're going all out attack, everyone up front. <laughs> <up front. laughs> you've you've killed my visions at all these team talks you do. It's like uh, Al Pacino on any given Sunday and it's all this big dramatic speech right before they yeah, go out every the week. The best one I like, sorry I interrupted. I remember his name years ago that I had and he had this thing about when he was doing his team talk about the floor been like really clean. So if there was something lying on the floor, he would like go down and pick it up and like put it in his pocket. Right. <laughs> after you know it's like guys, I know the dressing rooms are like after about two weeks the boys have clicked on it. So boys would have wee bits of paper in their in their pocket just next to them. So when he would turn he would pick up a bit of paper and he would turn around, somebody would throw another wee bit of paper around. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I've been going for about 10 minutes. He never ever clicked on. You know, that's like years ago. He sacked within about three weeks anyway. So he never had to show anyone. Brilliant. But he had the all oh, minds have got these wee nuances that they do. And they know dressing rooms are that quick to catch on to it. And boys were like they had them. And that was something he was done after that. <laughs> do you think the boys have anything that you that probably you do, to be honest with you, probably do, but I've no uh, I've not noticed it yet. <laughs> Do, do they have a dig at you for having the worst disciplinary record in the in the team? Hey, what's that all about? <laughs> what are yellow cards this season, son? I'm not going to end up getting banned if I too much on it, but aye, it's, uh, no comment. <laughs> I, feel my, I can feel my blood pressure going up already. Right <laughs> uh, okay, well, well, we'll 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 shelve that one, but hopefully. Um, Hopefully by the end of the season, you're still, as even news had you quoted, the least under pressure manager in the Premiership. And hopefully you're still at least a B, maybe a B plus, maybe an A minus. Yeah. Um, but given given you're saying that an A is winning the league, uh, maybe maybe we'll save that for, for next season. Would yeah. would a cup would a cup win manage to push you to up to an A, maybe? Maybe, maybe. Depends who we beat in the final. <laughs> I like it. It's high standards. I like it. You've been an A for about the last ten years now, mate. Yep. A plus. A plus. Mate. <laughs> He's always got that. He's always got that. Well, it's been a pleasure, Robbie. Thanks for coming Thanks on. For really appreciate that. it. Thank you. And Thank uh, you, best of luck Thanks for the on. the game next week. Thank you. So that was Robbie Nielsen joining us for a third time. I think it does that make him um that give him the most appearances on the podcast apart from us three. Yes. Yep. So okay. yep. it does. It does. I'd love, that I'd love, stats. Well, I'd love to have him back on um in the summer looking ahead to Europe. That that would be great. That'd be that's what that's what I asked him about the difference between then and now, what kind of coach he was then, what he learned from that and now. I think there's there's a lot more questions we could have asked him. A lot of them would be unfair. Like, would you, if I offered you fourth now, would you take it? Because I like his answer to one of the questions that you or Ryan put to him. And he's like, look, we, we've got to aim above. We've, we've got to look at second and kind of go, okay, rather than worrying about what's behind them. I like that mentality in a coach, Ryan, because it's not a kind of Ooh, over my shoulder and, and that that aware of, of what's around you, but wary of them. 
that's the kind of mentality that the three of us have been speaking about about wanting in charge of our football club someone that always wants to do better and isn't always looking over his shoulder, right? Yeah, exactly. You want you want your leader to be leading you in a direction of not just accepting third. Because finishing third in hindsight means you accept those results that he was talking about which weren't acceptable, the ones that he felt he was going to get three points out of. And if you have that mindset of, you know, at the end of this, this season, if he's not distinctively happy about it and they still finished third but he's pushing that point of you know we picked up an extra two points against Hibs at home an extra two points at um, Aberdeen at home you know there's your four points that means you're and then a few other games that, that eight point gap between say us and whoever finishes second you can then say to them listen like next season we win those games and look where we could be and you, and you have that focus of Right, yeah, okay, yeah, we did have a good season, but fuck it. How much better could this season be if we picked that up? And then if you've got that same group of players, that same squad, they then go into next season and they're already ready for those games. They already know that, hey, listen, if we drop points today, it might not seem like a bad result, but at the end of the season, that's two points that we could have been closer. That's the two points difference of, you know, also players get bonuses for the higher up they finish. It's touched on Europe. You know, these are all the things that players want to be involved in. So, yeah, I, I was really impressed with what he said and, and having known him and played with him and um, everything like that, I had a feeling that, you know, that's what he would be drilling on. And um, that's exactly what you want your club to be at. You want him to be setting targets, which right now seem unrealistic, but in three or four years time, you want to be in Europe, either the Europa League, the conference league, and you want to be in there consistently because we spoke about it previously on the podcast, what that brings to the football club, not only in, stature players money it just can springboard that club onto bigger and better things he's nearly 10 years older than you when you played with him did you think yeah he's going to be a coach or was that never something that crossed your mind yeah i thought he would be a coach i think i've said it before that i was really lucky when i started training with the first team with the amount of like good solid scottish professionals that were in the in that group we had hartley um robbie Craig, Presley, you know, they're all training and they've all gone on, well, Craig's still playing, but they're all gone on to be to be managers. And you can see that from from the get-go. It was a chaotic time. Do you think he was thinking, looking at you, he's going to go on and be on podcasts? No chance. But like, <laughs> like you said, I was very quiet when I was young. I used to not, my dad was a big believer that until you played 30 or 40 games, you weren't a first-team player. So, even after my first season, I was still getting stick at home in terms of you've not made it yet until you've until you've put consistently a, a, a number of performances that are worth being considered a first team player. And, and Robbie's very very much the same. Again, he touched on that. You know, players having fifteen or twenty caps at oh, fifteen or twenty appearances for Hearts when they maybe don't deserve it. You know, that's what you want to hear. You you want to know that when you're either on the bench or if you're coming on that you've actually deserved. Um, that opportunity to play for Hearts, and yeah, I think Hearts are in a really good, really good place with Robbie at the in charge. Right before we before we go, um, we we will have to look ahead because before we record next, I think we'll be recording after this next game. Hearts will return to action. They'll return to action with fans in the stadium. And Mark, not just is it great to to have fans back and have fans at Tynecastle, but it's it's quite a big game for Hearts because they're at home to mm. a struggling St Johnston side, and it's a week where 
Um, Hibs go to Celtic, Aberdeen play Rangers, and Motherwell have to go up to play Ross County away. Obviously, it's all hypothetical, but you're looking at that. Can be a big week for Hearts if they can get the result that they should record against St Johnston. Yeah, it's always dangerous, isn't it? Because you think, well, Ross I know you struggling. Don't like, you don't like me saying hypothetical. I know. No, no, but I, no, but I, I see what you're, you're saying. I watched St Johnston Celtic on Boxing Day. St Johnston were horrific. They were they were really really poor, and I think they've. They've added a, a couple, freshened things up a little bit, and who knows? You just don't know what the the three week break is um, is going to do for teams. Some teams might come flying out the trap. Celtic haven't been, or Rangers haven't been to Dubai, so goodness knows how they're they're going to react. Um, having not been over there, they they should be fine. Um, I'm actually glad that our first game back is not the cup tie. Uh, just, I mean, it's a banana skin. We, we should beat Auchinleck Talbot, and I'm not mentioning what happened in the cup last year, but I just having a, a game under our belts, Ryan, against St Johnston at home, I think that probably takes care of itself. And we know what they're going to do. They're, they're going to sit in, they're going to come for a point, and we're going to have to be patient. But I would rather have St Johnston at Tynecastle first up than Auchinleck away in the cup, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Even as players, if you have two or three weeks off, it might sound crazy, but you want to get into that that rhythm and there's no better place to be preparing for. You know, like fans who've had that, oh, there's not going to be no fans. There'll be a full house, I reckon, on Tuesday night with everyone mm-hmm. so excited to, to get back to the football. So straight away, that brings a good intensity to the game, brings its own added pressure on it. And, and like you said, you just sort of blow those cobwebs away get a win and then you're just fully focused on going down there and, and getting through to the next round of the cup. But it is definitely a, a lot better having that, that game beforehand for sure. Yeah. Let's hope that hearts return to winning ways when they, when they come back next week. Uh, before we go, uh, just to mention episode two of shirts around the funnel was also released this week. You can get that via the scarves around the funnel um, page on most of your podcast apps and our website. Uh, we spoke about a few things, including the main topic was the kit of 2014-15. One thing I was going to ask you about, Ryan, one thing that came up was the size of player kits because traditionally players always had larger kits than maybe what they would normally wear if they were just wearing a wearing a T-shirt or whatever. But uh-huh. apparently um, the heart shirt collector, Grant Young, who collects lots of match-worn kits, says he th- he thinks Danny Granger is the first player who really started changing the size of kits that the Hearts players wore and wanted to wear much smaller kits, a tighter shirt, to the point where apparently Callum Patterson used to wear a small when he played in 2014-15. Oh. Um, do you remember Danny Granger particularly liking small-sized Hearts shirts? Yeah, because he thought he was muscly, so he thought it set off his <laughs> <laughs> Muscles better, but yeah, some players have like loads of little things. I played with uh, Adam Lafondra, remember him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, striker. Yep. Um, yeah, striker, and he got his strip. Um, and say I think he was small, but it's he still felt it was too baggy, so he got the kit lady to give it to him, and he took it to um, uh, what's it called? Extra small. No, he took it somewhere to get it like <laughs> properly fitted. <laughs> yeah. Like a seamstress. Um, yeah. And they what ended up happening was that because the Sydney strips were quite long at the bottom 
and they they took it up that much <laughs> that they took off like half of the sponsor. So he had a different <laughs> shirt, and it wasn't until halfway through the season that fans clicked on and was like, "Where's uh, Lafontaine's <laughs> strip?" And the, the club had to come out and say that he gets his uh, gets his strip altered. And um, yeah, like some players used to get it, like they'll take it yeah to a seamstress and get it sort of tightened in on the sides. But yeah, I just sort of. Where whichever one Gogsy was pretty good with with sizes. The kit man at Hearts and he used to just I remember I asked him for a long sleeve top and it was like I asked him for a million pounds. He was like oh, <laughs> not you. Probably other foreigners would ask for a long sleeve one, but not you. That means I'm gonna have to print another one. So that was the that was the only time I ever asked for a, a long sleeve sleeve strip. But um yeah, I was just pretty happy with what I got. But yeah, some players are very um particular in in what sizes they get but that normally happens at the start of the season you get like a for the, obviously for the kit man you try all the different sizes on whichever ones fit some players prefer tighter shirts others prefer um larger ones but lafondra was the first one that i knew that um said yeah i'll take it to the seamstress and get it <laughs> get it gonna, tailored to me. i thought you were gonna say it was like you know um rocky three and rocky balbo and Apollo Creed are training, they've got the wee cutoffs. It's almost like a wee crop top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and find the photo for it so he, so he doesn't have it. Anyway, there you go, Mark. There's me going off on a complete tangent right before we were meant to finish in true <laughs> Donaldson style. Yeah, um, you're also the one that has to edit this, so on you go. Yes. Well, we will, on that note, we will head off. Thank you for tuning in to Scars Around the Funnel. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. That's at Around the Funnel. Or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Who let the dogs out? 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 Well, the party was nice, the party was pumping. And everybody having a ball. Until the fellas start the name calling And the girls respond to the call I have a pull my shot on